elk is hands down probably my 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 favorite animal to chase with a bow simply because i grew up on the east coast i grew up sitting in tree stands i grew up grew up non grunt calls and not knowing if a deer was going to show up or not so the, from the first time i heard an elk bugle and saw an elk i was like holy cow like i was i was addicted immediately to it just the fact that you could actually call these prehistoric sounding animals in and then call them into bow range at that so i feel as, as far as my elk hunting experience goes my elk calling experience like first season all i did was cow call right and then second season started bugling a little bit mm -hmm. and not really knowing what i'm doing i'm just ripping bugles right like i don't know i don't know the difference between a challenge bugle or anything i'm just ripping bugles and, and like completely like no clue what actual elk sounds mean right like mm -hmm. regathering these bugles and all this kind of stuff and i'm still not sure i know that's like the last that's the last key to the code i feel like i'm right on the cusp of cracking but quite haven't quite cracked that's the other piece of the code that I, I don't know and I can't crack is it seems like some years they're fired up super early, like mm -hmm. super early. And then late some years they don't talk. The last couple of seasons, elk won't, I, I didn't hear an elk bugle until like muzzleloader season open. And usually when muzzleloader season opens, that screws everything up because the, the woods are packed full of people. Every season I go out there, like one i come back and i'm like okay this worked this didn't work how the go through the coulda woulda shoulda of every event right or every encounter and then i kind of dial that back in and try to again like just i feel like at this point like there's just a few small pieces of the puzzle missing and, and it's gonna be maybe maybe i'm i'm delusional but i feel like there's a couple small pieces of the puzzle missing and then i'm gonna be like it's it's gonna be um I'm gonna have it figured out. Wait, I'm almost there. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes. I can't stress it enough. It's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Halfa Wildlife. Super simple. Takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care but be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game and go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Uh, today we are going to do a little campfire storytelling session, I guess, with uh, Mike Hearn and uh, just kind of listen to some of his experiences and maybe we could pull some tidbits out of that. So what's going on, man? What's going on? <sighs> you know, another day, another dollar. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Not enough dollars. Yeah, but. exactly. Exactly. Especially nowadays. For sure. I was just talking to one of my employees today. My my wife has been breaking my chops for like the last five years. She's always wanted a Cadillac Escalade. And it's like, you know, it's a super expensive truck. But her last, the last truck I just got her about a year ago. It's a pretty freaking damn expensive truck too. Like really, not too far off. So I'm like, eh, 
you know, you know how, how things progress. It's, it's just a little bit more. It's just a little bit more. And then you end up your, you know, buying almost a hundred thousand dollar truck anyway. But it's crazy to me. The sticker price or the invoice price on the truck is like $96,000, which are, is already just mind blowing. My first condominium that I bought didn't even cost that much money. That's already mind blowing. But they put a $30,000 premium on it to buy it. Oh, yeah. Because of this, like, you know, they, they don't just don't make that many right now. <laughs> you know? Yep. The fact that people are willing to pay that much more for a depreciating asset is like mind blowing to me. Absolutely, I can't. I can't even wrap my head around it. Yeah. Now, I've I've never bought a brand new vehicle in my life. Oh, really? You're smart for for that for that reason. Like, one, I'm not super wealthy, but two, I know like as soon as I start driving it, like the the, the value drops significantly. Yeah. Yep. So it's nuts. Absolutely nuts. It's just getting, and it's getting worse and worse. But anyways, so Mike, give us a little rundown about yourself and, uh, and we'll hit it. Uh, well, what do you want to know? I, uh, avid hunter, obviously I, I bow hunting is, is my passion, but I recently picked up a rifle and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but my day job, I'm in the army for my day job. I, I work at a, uh, a non-commissioned officer professional development academy. Um, and then in my spare time, I write outdoor and, and hunting related content for Black Rifle Coffee uh, through their outdoor publication, Free Range American. And then I hunt and that's about it. That's all I do. Not very interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure the military offers some you probably can't talk about it, but I'm sure it offers some uh, excitement there, you know. And yeah, it, there, there's there's been exciting times for sure. Yeah. Well, being primarily a bow hunter, what's some of your favorite hunts that you've you know do you partake in on a yearly, and what's some of the favorite ones you've gone on? So, elk is hands down probably my 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 favorite animal to chase with a bow. Simply because I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up sitting in tree stands. I grew up grunting on grunt calls and not knowing if a deer was going to show up or not. So the, from the first time I heard an elk bugle and saw an elk, I was like, holy cow. Like I was, I was addicted immediately to it. Just the fact that you could actually call these prehistoric sounding animals in and then call them into bow range at that. So elk's definitely my favorite. As pro- I, I really, uh, I haven't done a ton of cool bow hunting trips. Like most, I mean, they're they're all cool in their own way. But like most of my most, well, all of my elk hunting has been over the counter in Colorado. And then I, I have, I've been on. I went on a cool trip last year with uh, Aaron Snyder of Kafaru International mm-hmm. and South Cox uh, Stalker Stickbows. I went in there to call for Aaron last year. They had a pretty awesome tag. And I was like, well, Aaron invited me out to call for him. And I was like, I'm definitely going because I'll probably never have enough points to step foot in this unit. So <laughs> uh, that was a freaking awesome experience just because of the number of elk and the amount of screaming those bulls did. Oh, yeah. I can, I can imagine. I can imagine. And I'm sure hunting with Aaron was pretty cool. I've known oh, Aaron for, yeah. I've known Aaron for a for a number of years, and 
actually, I know South too, but not as not really well. I've had him on the podcast. We've talked a couple times, but he's an animal, though. South, he's like a. I mean, I remember watching a few of his videos and stuff where <laughs> where he's sneaking into like just a few yards, you know, and uh, and shooting stuff with his recurve. And uh, he's got a lot of patience. We talked a lot about his his uh, stalking practices and so on and so forth um, on a podcast I did with him several yeah, years ago. He is, but, he is definitely uh, a patient man. Yeah, I think that's that's the other reason I like elk hunting mm-hmm. is it's instant gratification, right? Like I, I rip a bugle. I know if a bull's in that drainage or probably not in that drainage, or at least I know there is a bull in there that potentially wants to die that day. And then I can start, I can start working and it's not a lot of, uh, sitting still. Yep. And I do that so well. I don't know either. It's, uh, elk hunting is probably my favorite too, because of that. Like it's a constantly you're on the go, always on the pursuit. You know, it's, it's different than the chess game of sitting in a whitetail stand or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. For sure. So, uh, yeah, if you could, if you could share a couple of those uh, stories with us exactly, you know, take us through a detailed account of, you know, one or two of them from, or maybe three, depends on how how detailed they are and how long they take. But, um, yeah, that'd be awesome if you could. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we could start with my my first over-the-counter archery elk hunt. Um, So... Like I said, I'm active duty military, and I grew up primarily in um, airborne units. I'm a, I'm a parachutist or a, a parachute infantryman, oh, cool. um, and that's where I grew up, and that's kind of where my heart, uh, as far as the military goes, like that's like it's like hunting. I I used to eat, breathe, and and sleep it right, mm-hmm. and um, I went down to Fort Benning, Georgia to become a, a drill sergeant for infantry one station unit training where all the new infantry recruits come to get trained uh, when they first join the army. And on my way out of there, I was trying to figure out where I, my heart was mostly set on going back to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, because that's that's kind of the mothership where all the paratroopers are. And, and that's where I wanted to go. But I wanted to hunt elk and I wanted to have the ability to hunt elk without having to plan to drive across the country and, and do all of this stuff, right? So I, I kind of changed the course of my military career to be able to chase elk, never having done it before. I just knew it was something I wanted to do. So I ended up getting stationed out at Fort Carson, Colorado. What was that? In like 2015, 2015-ish, I think. End of 2015, I moved out here. Okay. And then went on a deployment to Kosovo, so I missed my first season as a Colorado resident. I wasn't able to hunt because I was overseas um, and then came back and, and was able to get some time off for my first elk season. So I took two weeks off and went into the elk woods with a couple of buddies. And it was a, it was a dick dragger of an elk hunt. I learned a lot <laughs> of lessons the hard way. One, the first, like, well, I'm not going to say the first morning. We really didn't start getting into elk till like the second week. But the first bull that, that I called in or that got called in while I was hunting, I'd gotten to this trailhead. I was by myself, and this guy and his kid were there. And I was like, well, crap. I thought I was going to be alone down here. And so he's like, you just want to hunt together? I'm like, yeah, sure. 
And so immediately in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to shoot over this 12 year old kid. So right, right. obviously if we get into elk, the kid's probably going to kill one. Um, so that sucks because I'm running out of time and I got to go back to work for uncle Sam. But so we got into, we got into a couple of bulls. They were in some jack pines, like after they'd logged it and replanted the pines. Mm -hmm. And so we set his, this gentleman's son up on the logging road and we went on the other side of the jack pines and tried to call that those bulls out of those jack pines because they were just in there sparring and next thing i know the drainage right behind the jack pines that we were standing behind uh a bull started ripping out of the bottom and he's like go down there and kill that bull i'm like cool so i ran i ran halfway down and saw the bull coming up and the rookie the whitetail hunter and me and the, and the rookie elk hunter and me the first thing i did was jump behind the tree right and, and that bull ran and and not only did i jump behind a tree but i grabbed my rangefinder too so i got a rangefinder in one hand i got my bow in the other hand and i'm behind the tree and that bull runs basically stops on the other side of that tree from me <laughs> and i can't i can't do anything if i would have just stood in the open and drew my bow he'd be dead but i was a rookie so i hopped behind the tree we, we had a little stare off and now I was like, well, I'm going to just drop my rangefinder. I didn't have a tether on it. So I just, I dropped my rangefinder on the ground and tried to get my, my, uh, release on my D loop. Mm -hmm. And obviously the bull took off and, and I didn't get a, a chance to shoot him. And then a cow ran in like right after, and I shot right over her back and I'm like, well, that was my one and only opportunity probably because it's <laughs> over the counter. And those opportunities are few and far between. So I was pretty beat up. Fast forward to that evening, I'm by myself. I walk down into this little meadow that's kind of in a drainage. So it's got it's got some wallows in it or or I mean it was a wallow at one point. So I kind of went down there. I was like, screw it, I'm just gonna go sit down here. And I was sitting down there and it was starting to get dark. I let out a couple of cow calls and I heard a bull kind of lazy bugle like I'm coming, but didn't he wasn't fired up mm -hmm. so bull ends up coming into 30 yards perfectly broadside i i make it up onto my knees because i was sitting on my butt so i make it up onto my knees get the full draw everything's perfect stop him at 30 yards let the arrow go and and when it hits him it sounds like like lightning just cracked oh jesus right in the shoulder blade <laughs> So now I am really dejected because I've already been working for a week and a half. It's my first ever elk season. So I'm like, all right, well, that's it, man. That was you that doesn't happen twice in a day when you're hunting over the counter in Colorado. And I this is my first elk hunt. So and I still to this day I'm like, yeah, that doesn't happen twice in a day when you're hunting over the counter in Colorado. Right. Um so I went up, found my arrow, uh he'd broken it off running away and only got like an inch or two of penetration tried to follow blood we, we looked for the bull the next morning the, the, there was no way that bull that arrow made it very far i was shooting a you know, schwacker broadhead at the time mm -hmm. so now i'm real dejected so we me and a, a buddy comes up and links up with me one of my army buddies and we moved to he's also a, a fairly new elk hunter we moved to a completely new spot and I'm looking on the map and I'm like, well, you know, people say elk like benches and there's a really good bench in the area that we're hunting. You basically drive on. The only way to access it is to drive to the top of the mountain. And then there's a road that runs the ridgeline and it's super steep. Once you drop off that road, like it's, it's steep, nasty country. 
Mm. But so you basically have to hunt down from the top. And then if you shoot anything, you got to pack it back to the top because it's all private land around the bottom. Sounds like fun. So, yeah. So it's the the last night that we can hunt. It's the night before muzzleloader season opens and and I have to go back to work. So it's the the last night that I can can stay out. And the road to get up to the top of that mountain sucks. So I told my buddy to go sit that bench. And, and I told him where I was going to go, which was like way down the mountain. I was making a Hail Mary, uh, trying to get into elk by whatever means possible. And I went down the mountain far enough that I had actually ended up getting some cell service and he had cell service in that side. And I asked him where he was and he sent me his onyx pin and I'm like, well, crap, he's not on that bench. I'm going to hike back up to that bench. So I hiked up to the bench and no sooner than I got up to the bench did I see the the tan rump of an elk. I didn't know if it was a cow, bull. I didn't know what it was, mm-hmm. but and the way my wind was going and the sunset and the thermals were going right down to it. So I saw it kind of, I, I guessing it smelled me and then, and then kind of moved off. So I dropped down to where I saw it to get below them and did some calling and called. He was, he was, he was a raghorn four point, but I called him into 30 yards and put my 40 pin on him and shot over his back. Um, so what were you, what were you calling him in with cow calls or? Yeah. Cow calls. Okay. So I'll get to that in a second. So, um, called him in to 30 yards, shot over his back and then called, I stayed calm and I called him back into 25 yards and, and smoked him. Oh, wow. We ended up, uh, not finding him that evening. We had plans to drive off the mountain. So we spent the night. I got up early and went in and found him probably 25 yards from where we had lost blood that night. So I think our eyes were just strained and tired. So mm. it was a pretty, it was a pretty, uh, a grueling first, first elk hunt. And, and I, I, uh, definitely feel fortunate that I got one because then I, people are like, hey, people don't kill elk with their bow on their first elk hunt like that's that's not common or yeah. typical um but i'm an army guy so I, i'm good friends with pain and misery so i, I was gonna say you, that, if you put in enough time and you it sounds like you were there for what did you just how many days total were you there two weeks so yeah so two weeks so two weeks you're basically on your second year <laughs> Yeah, know, yeah. Compared to most people, you know, I, I yeah. get this. We have this conversation all the time, my my buddy Charles and I, and we were sitting there conversating one day, and he was like, you know, it's funny how people are like, oh yeah, I've been hunting for fifteen years, and da da da, and, that, and you find out, yeah, they've been hunting fifteen years for one week out of you know, one week out of the year for fifteen years, and then you yeah. take a guy, you know. Like for instance, one of the kids that works for me, he's like in his early twenties. You know, I've been hunting since I'm five years old, but he's you know, he's been hunting for a long time too. But he's twenty he's a much, much younger than me, my point is. But he hunts, you know, like a hundred and eighty days a year. Like so hundred and eighty days, you know, that's like what is that? that's like 25 weeks or something like that, you know, Yeah, that's like the equivalent of somebody else saying I hunted for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I never even thought about it like that. That's a very good point. So yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, years. Okay. Yeah. You, you will pick up stuff 
why you're not hunting from other people, from, you know, just the things changing and whatever, but the actual physical hunting that's giving you the most experience and give you the most opportunity. Like listen, there's no substitute for time in the field when it comes to success because you can't, nope. kill, you can't kill them from the couch. Right. So, yeah. but yeah, it, it really boils down to how many days, you know, how many days can you spend? You know, I can't tell yeah. you how many times. So like I come off like a eight or 10 day hunt and I'm like, man, I just learned a shit ton. And I've been hunting that animal for, whatever 15 years let's say but yeah yeah so you put if you put two weeks in even if it's your first time yeah you you ran through a lot of learning curve that first week and and most of the second week and then you know things start clicking and you know opportunities to and you had other opportunities right so and you learned from those mistakes like you you even said it like right off the bat my first rookie mistake is i jump behind a tree yeah, yeah, I'm sure you realized that, and that was a mistake right from the get-go, right? You know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, guiding people or whatever, you're like, no, 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 don't sit behind that. Go get in front of it or whatever, you know. So the fact that you put that much time and effort into it doesn't surprise me that you got one is what basically what I'm getting Yeah, at. yeah, for so. sure. Yeah, and the last is like, well, you nailed it. Like time in the field is there's there's no substitute for it. Yeah. zero like yeah. and then like fast forward to my next season uh we this was before colorado changed the big game structure mm-hmm. so it was before like the season opened on september 2nd every year mm-hmm. uh, i think we had two bowls on the ground by september 5th wow so it was that learning curve that first season like i took a lot of those lessons learned i was like all right i need to get better at this i didn't bugle at all the first season mm-hmm. did not did not bugle like I carried a bugle too, but I did not bugle. And then I went back to the drawing board and learned how to bugle and, and, mm-hmm. and do all that. And then I bugle in the next season was what killed both those bulls early. Yeah. yeah. Surprisingly. So, so that's um, awesome. But yeah, the definitely the time in the field. And then it seems, it almost seems like. I should have killed a bull this year. I did kill a bull this year. I am certain that bull is dead. I could I could not find it to save my life. Um, but so yeah, I shot a bull this year, and arrow completely like the arrow soaked. It there wasn't a muscle hit. Didn't I saw where the arrow hit the hit the bull? Maybe it was a little bit further back than where my mind's eye remembers it, but. Um, but like even, have, even so, it sounds like maybe even if you had a liver shot or whatever. Yeah, and that's what I'm starting to wonder is if maybe I got one lung and liver and maybe he was quartered to me a little bit more. It felt like he was perfectly broadside. But like I, when, I, when I saw that arrow hit the bull, I looked. I had a camera guy with me, and I looked back at the camera guy, and I'm like, that bull's dead. Like, And then we found my arrow completely soaked in blood and could not find a drop of blood in the ground. And gridded that area with three so four of us total gridding the area off and, and just couldn't find them so wow. um but but even this season like i was so i feel as, as far as my elk hunting experience goes my elk calling experience like first season all i did was cow call right and then second season started bugling a little bit mm-hmm. and not really knowing what i'm doing i'm just ripping bugles right like i don't know i don't know the difference between a challenge bugle or anything i'm just ripping bugles and, and like completely like no clue 
what actual elk sounds mean, right? Like mm-hmm. regathering news and bugles and all this kind of stuff. And I'm still not sure I know. That's like the last, that's the last key to the code. I feel like I'm right on the cusp of cracking, but quite haven't quite cracked it yet. So second season I'm bugling um, and, and killed a couple bulls that way. I, I killed mine that I called in and then I killed one. Uh, well, I didn't kill him. My buddy shot him, but I notched my belt when I called a bull in for a pale too. Um, mm-hmm. So next season was rough. The next season was, was rough. It was dry. The elk didn't talk and I didn't, I just didn't have as much time uh, to spend out there. I actually can't remember if that was the season I went in and helped Aaron and South or if it was the season after, I think it was the season after it, but yeah, it was, it was the season after. So that was the 2019 season that, that just couldn't get it done. Um, 2020 season came around and it was a lot like 2019, just that the elk were not talking. That's the other thing. That's the other piece of the code that I, I don't know. And I can't crack is it seems like some years they're fired up super early like mm-hmm. super early and then late some years they don't they don't talk like the last couple of seasons elk won't i i didn't hear an elk bugle until like muzzleloader season open and usually when muzzleloader season opens that screws everything up because the the woods are packed full of people and right, there's a lot right, right. there's a lot of four-wheelers in places there's not supposed to be four-wheelers it's a it's a whole thing so um and then fast forward to this season, right? I've got some calling strategy now, and I've, I've got some experience under my belt. And this season, I was kind of putting all this stuff to the test. I called in a bull the first part of the season. I couldn't hunt because Free Range American, the, the publication I wanted to, that I write for, wanted to film. They, they want to film like real people doing stuff, right? So they wanted to film me hunting over the counter because it's miserable and it's <laughs> it's relatable because that's what pretty much everyone does, right? Like it's cool to watch someone smoke a bull on the Deseret, but the Deseret is like that might as well be on a different planet for me, right? Like right. I'm never going to hunt the Deseret. Um, I don't have the money and, and the connections. So Exactly. Um, so they, we were filming an over-the-counter elk hunt. Like that's the story, right? Like this is over-the-counter elk hunting. It's, it's great. It's fun, but it kind of sucks too, like big time. Yep. So okay. embrace uh, the suck. Yeah, exactly. So I we the bulls had started. I called a bull in for a buddy. It was his first time elk hunting, and, and like me, we started working a bull this one time, and he hopped by the tree. I'm like, "What are you doing? Get in front of that tree. Walk that way twenty yards. Stand there. Don't move." He was like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, don't move. And he even, we called, I called the bull into 25 yards and he missed. Not sure why. I think it was nerves. Um, I think it was nerves. It was the last night that he could hunt. We had the morning, but it was like, that was the one, right? Like mm-hmm. it's over the counter. We've been out there for like eight or nine days and, and called this bull. And like, and I didn't want to make him any more dejected than he already was, but I, I was, he's like, I was like, man, like he, that was the one. That was that was the one. So um, he's like, dude, he's like, you know how many times, like when you're working an elk, I wanted to like the whitetail hunter in me, when you're stomping on branches, yeah. raking trees, like the whitetail hunter in me is like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Yep. Um, so it's funny to, to 
see someone kind of go through that learning process that hadn't already been there because I was there, you know, and I remember it. I remember it well, like you make all this noise. Are you sure you should be making this noise? Like, shouldn't we be trying to be quiet? So yeah. he's like, I can't believe that stuff works. And I'm like, dude, elk are big animals. They make noise. Like, yeah. I actually got a funny like story rem- I want to tell you after this. Rem- remind me of the situation you're talking about right now, but go ahead. Keep yeah, going. yeah, yeah. So he didn't get his bull, and then my camera guy flew in. So we went out, and we went out and, and started getting after it. We were getting into bulls, but they just weren't quite committing, right? Mm-hmm. So I tried. I've been studying this, uh, what is it, Paul Medell? Yeah, Paul Medell. He's awesome. That, Good friend of mine. That elk nut. So I've been like – been listening to a lot of his stuff i listen to a lot of chris rose stuff on like elk sounds and why they make the sounds they sound because that's like that's the one thing i feel like i can't like turkeys easy money i, I get turkey calling and i think that's also part of what kind of gave me a. it was easier for me to understand the concept of calling elk because i'd grown up turkey hunting and calling turkey okay like the, I can see the that. setups the setups for archery hunting elk are the exact same setups for shooting a turkey in the face with a shotgun, right? You want to set up behind a hill, behind a low rise to where, like, when you can see the gobbler's head, he's in range of your 12 gauge, right? This is the same exact thing with a bow and calling elk. Like, you want to set up to where when that bull comes in and you can see him, he's in bow range. So uh, I think that shortened my learning curve. But So I've been listening to a lot of Paul stuff, trying to just figure out what sounds to make when, right? Because that's like, and I still, I, I feel like I'm getting a grasp on it, but not... I'm not quite there. Like, I feel like I still got a few more pieces of the puzzle put together. Um, but this year, like Paul always preaches this breeding sequence, right? So we had bulls bugling. Uh, we were on one finger and then you go across the drain. There's another finger. There's two bulls bugling on that, on that finger. Right. So I was like, cool. We're going to set up on this one and I'm going to bugle like I'm a bull bugling at a cow. Like I have cows. So I'm going to make some cow sounds. And I'm going to bugle like I'm bugling at the cow. I'm not really going to bugle at those other bulls. Mm-hmm. So I tried. So I, Paul, I think, calls it like a breeding sequence or whatever. So that's what right. I was doing. And at one point, this bull sounded like he was leaving or walking kind of the backside of the, the finger that he was on. Mm-hmm. My best guess is that that's why he sounded further away. So me and me and the camera guy grabbed our gear. I'm like, well, screw it. Let's go get over on his finger and try it. So we're walking across this oak flat, this big, wide open oak flat. And, and I'm like, all right, well, thermals are going up. It's hot out. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm like, thermals are going up. So I'm just going to let a cow call go and see if I can get this bull to bugle to figure out what elevation he is on this finger so we can get in above him so the wind doesn't get us. Mm-hmm. So let out a cow call. Bull bugles. I'm like, cool. There he is. So we start rocking and rolling, and then bull bugles again, and he's closer. Mm. And then next thing I know, we're pinned in the wide open, and this, he's a pretty good six point. Um, it, pinned in the wide open, and, and he comes straight at us, like short oak, like short scrub oak, and and he walks straight at us. Put his head behind some behind some oak. I tried to get the full draw. He pinned me, um, and that was the end of that. So he was gone. But the next day we got in, we, we went same area. Um, I heard a bull bugling, but he just was, he wasn't like working the calls or anything. So I was like, screw it. Let's just hang out. We, I knew he was bedding on that ridge, that same ridge where we, they were both bugling the day before. 
So I was like, let's just, we're just going to hang out until he starts talking again. We tried to sneak up to where his bed was. It was too loud. Um, and, and I'm not South cock sneaky. So mm-hmm. I was like, we're just going to hang out until he starts talking this evening or gets up to feed. Had no clue there was a wallow there. There was a wallow probably 40 or 50 yards away from where we were just kind of taking naps in the, in, uh, in the shade. And um, Bull got up, bugled. I cow I cow called to him. He didn't respond. And the next thing I know, I heard him thrashing in water. I'm like, there's a wallow down there. This is perfect. So, and it was below where we were set up. So it's midday, it's warm, thermals are going up, easy money. So every time I look at the camera, I'm like, every time we hear him thrashing, we gotta move. Every time he's not thrashing, we gotta stop. So we got I got to probably 30 yards from the wallow and where he was. I think he caught me moving a little bit, but he didn't spook. Mm-hmm. He just saw something he didn't like and started moving off the wallow. I got the full draw. Cal called, stopped him, and he was at 35 yards and, and nailed him. Like, I was certain. I mean, I looked back at, at the camera and was like, that bull's down. And then that's the bull we never found after searching for him for two days. Um, but, but, like, the day before, some of the coolest – stuff that i've experienced over the counter honey like that bull coming in that bull screen the entire way in um until he was under 20 yards when he picked me off trying to get to full draw um but like just i mean i know it was probably that breeding sequence right like i was mm-hmm. a bull that was calling to cows and not i wasn't bugling it if those bulls in the upper finger um so like that i'm I feel like I'm like right there. Like there's just a few puzzle pieces missing. I'd like to be able to do that more often than I do it now, but I, I feel like I'm getting there. Yeah, so. for sure. I've been studying Paul's stuff for, I don't know, probably five or six years. And these last couple of years now, um, now that I feel like I have a good grasp on his um, interpretation of the language, mm-hmm. I find myself going through the woods and when I hear stuff, I feel like I got to tell whoever I'm with, okay, he's doing this. He's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I walk myself through it all the time. Um, yeah. I, unlike you, when I first started elk hunting in the late nineties, I only cow called. I, I shouldn't say only cow called. I did use a bugle, but I only did the location bugle. I did your standard, you know, on a, on a Terminator, Primo's Terminator or whatever. And uh, it was just to, to get a bugle back to know which direction to go into. And then I just thought we'd switch to cows because um, that's what I felt confident with. And, and you know what? It worked for me. I, I killed I killed elk. Um, my first three tags actually in Arizona were cow tags. And I killed cows those years, and then, uh, and then you know I got finally got a bull tag, and uh, but yeah, I, the, every year it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, you you start adding more and more stuff to the toolbox, and things that experiences that you've had before, you start recognizing. Oh shit, this is like you know, two years ago when we were on that ridge and the bull did this and you know, this is that situation and the, how did it play out? Okay. What should I have done? And you like, you know, that's just hunting in general. Like you, right. It's just yeah. life in general. Really. If you're paying attention, you're, 
you recall your experiences to give you the best information of what to make, how to make the decision for that moment. For sure. Yeah. So, but, um, I was going to tell you about, so the whitetail, I used to be that way too. Like actually when I hunted elk up until probably six, six or seven years ago, man, yeah, probably around the same time, like 2015, maybe 2014, something like that. When I started, being okay with making noise for elk what it was it wasn't until then but i actually figured out something about whitetail and about being quiet versus being noisy that worked really really well for me i was hunting in illinois i would go i would i live in arizona so i would go every year i would take a trip to the midwest to go hunt whitetail i do one whitetail trip a year and um there was all these leaves like every day, like I had to get from my, you know, where I parked and I'd have to hike in and then come across all these leaves to get to my tree stand. And man, at first I'm like, I started like clearing paths so I could get in there quietly. And I was in there one uh, day, like around noon and I'm clearing my path. I'm just shuffling my feet and kicking the leaves, you know, on either side of me to make like a, a clear path so that I can sneak in. Right. So I could do that in the morning and, and then mm-hmm. in the afternoons and I'm doing this and the shuffling of the leaves and this buck comes running up to come look. And of course, you know, my, I got no arrow in the quiver, uh, my arrows are in my quiver, you know, I'm not ready. I don't have, and I didn't end up shooting that buck, but and then I'm like, whoa, what just happened here? Okay. Then I started thinking about it. I'm like, he probably thought I was like another buck either making a scrape or I was chasing a doe more than likely. Because I started paying attention to like the cadence of it, right? Of me shuffling sounds like that, you know, like when a buck's chasing a doe in in the leaves and, in, in you know, uh, that time of year, it's like, it sounds like, ch- you know it's like a couple quick and stop trots and then a stop a couple quick trots, and that's kind of what i was doing so i started doing that when i would go to my stand i would knock an arrow and i would i would kind of do that cadence when i'd run to like not run but like i'd kind of like you know take that kind of a pace and, and cadence to the stand. And I can't tell you how many times I've called bucks up that way because they That's think it's crazy. another buck. So being quiet is not always, you know, cause deer make noises too. It's just got to figure out what yeah. those noises yeah. are. Right. Exactly. So yeah. It's just like that's elk cool. hunting, and I, and that's what made me okay with making noise in the elk woods. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, elk break branches when they're walking. They, you know, they're not they're not trying to be quiet coming through stuff. I mean, they can be shit. I've had pretty silent elk come in plenty of times, um, but you know, if you're trying to pretend to be an elk, you got to be an elk. You got to create the illusion, and yeah, you know exactly. that. I've been talking about that forever. Like, cause see, and, and this is the other thing, like before that, that realization, when I would be up in a tree stand, I would tie a piece of fishing wire to my tree stand and tie it to a branch down in the bottom, like a big, you know, deadfall or something. And when I was doing my 
rattling and grunting sequences, I would rattle, grunt, and I would lift up on that. So it sounded like bucks fighting in the leaves, mm-hmm. you know? So I was creating the illusion. I would, and it's all, and that translated over into elk hunting too. I'm like, okay, well, anytime I'm calling something, I'm trying to create the illusion. Let me give him, give him all the sensory stuff. He can hear this. He can hear that. You know, hell, we, oh, I've even done scent, you know, stuff too at, at, in different situations where I felt like it was necessary. And it, you know, it, it translate translates into opportunities and more opportunities also, you know, use often translates into success. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's, that's great. I, uh, I always tried the, um, I never thought about the, like the cadence, but I always tried like the heel toe. Uh-huh. You know how white tail are like when they're walking. So I always try to do like heel toe. It never worked for me. Yeah. I'm also, I'm also super like impatient, but that <laughs> cadence makes perfect sense. That's, that's cool. That is super cool. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's not like a a hundred percent all the time, but Hey, if you're going to make noise going, you might as well try something, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Or break a, bring a rake in with you and clear a path, you know, <laughs> if you, that way you met, you only mess up one hunt. But, uh, anyway, uh, you got any other, uh, quick stories you want to share with us before we jump off? Uh, I, I think I'm good. All Unless right. You want to hear any, any stories? Nah, I, I think I think we get we covered it quite a bit, but I I think the uh, the takeaway from you sharing is like I mean okay so it sounds like what seven years you've been hunting out? Uh yeah, twenty seventeen is my first season. Oh, twenty seventeen. So twenty seventeen. That's what are we? Twenty twenty two. That's not even. That's five years. My math, right? Yeah, that's five years. Six. 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 This is my sixth season. Okay, this is your sixth season. Okay. So, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a whole lot of time, but you found success. Yeah. Yeah, I found, and, and I found, I feel like I found, even like, I didn't kill an elk this year, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I well, you didn't, you didn't did, harvest an no. elk. You got, but I you didn't, killed one. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't recover, but I have... Definitely, like every, it's like you said, like every season I go out there, like one, I come back and I'm like, okay, this worked, this didn't work. How the go through the coulda, woulda, shoulda of every event, right? Or every encounter. And then I kind of dial that back in and try to, again, like just, I feel like at this point, like there's just a few small pieces of the puzzle missing and, and it's going to be maybe. Maybe I'm I'm delusional, but I feel like there's a couple small pieces of the puzzle missing, and then I'm going to be like, it's it's going to be um, I'm going to have it figured out. I'm wait, I'm almost there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, it sounds like you've you're you're well on your way to being a. I mean, hell, if if Aaron asked you to come call for him, you must be you must be pretty get getting pretty good at calling, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess what I was getting at before the takeaway is just, it's not just the time spent, it's the quality of the time spent and what you're getting out of it. Cause if you're not paying attention to what's going on, you can't see what's working for you and what's not working for you. Can you, you know, that saying, you know, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same yep. thing over and over and expecting mm-hmm. a different response. So like, it, it, you know. If you're not like paying attention 
and absorbing of what's working and what's not working and starting to put those, you know, prioritizing what, what's the most effective, what's the most efficient, what's, you know, like, I think those people, it sounds like you're one of them that do that well, find success much faster, Mm -hmm, you know, for sure. Because I know people that spent 10 years plus haunting elk and are like, I still haven't gotten milk. Yeah. 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 And I think it probably uh, could be good, could be bad, but a little bit obsessive, right? Like Mm -hmm. those people are definitely a little bit more obsessive about things or things that they're into. So, and I definitely like, I, you, said before we started recording like you can't take on any more hobbies like i uh yeah <laughs> i'm in the same boat right i'm in the same boat i'm to the point now where i'm like all right i'm not fly fishing i love fly fishing but i don't have time for it like i've got to if i want to be good at this i got to cut x y and z out to be real good so right, right. Um, exactly I, I know like for a fact like so i have hunting businesses and then i have my you know the business that feeds my family, which is swimming pool construction service and um, pretty much everything deal with swimming pools in the the commercial setting. I know if I stop the hunting business, stop doing this podcast and everything, and I just focused on my pool business, I would have so much more time and so much more money. <laughs> I can hunt for myself way more than I do now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, but if we just were, you know, you sound like me, you probably just add, just like to add stuff, man. Variety's the spice of life, I guess. I don't know. It but. is, it is for sure. Like I'm full time, full time military. And like right now, I'm under the gun on a couple, of, I owe like three, four, four articles. Mm-hmm. before the first of november so i i take my uniform off and i either stay in my office at work or i head back to the house and then i start cranking out articles for for black rifle <laughs> go. i'm gonna die of a heart attack at like 40 something but it's okay oh geez hopefully ha- i'm gonna have fun i'm gonna have fun doing it so hopefully not hopefully not <laughs> <laughs> no. all right well man i appreciate you coming on and uh taking the time um and uh was interested in to hear your your perspective on things and the and the uh the hunts were were interesting yeah to thanks so to, much so. for having me yeah I'll keep in touch we'll uh maybe we'll do an outcome one of these days let's do it all right buddy take it easy all right hey guys thanks for checking out the show really appreciate you keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word, and check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.